This is the Hockey News Prospect Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Hockey News Prospect Podcast. I'm Stephen Ellis. That's Ryan Candy. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Awesome. Well, we just finished watching, uh, I'd say, a fantastic final game of the Under-18 World Championship. It's a tournament that always has its hits and misses. You get the blowout. I don't think anyone expected Sweden to be on the resulting end of a bunch of these blowouts, but we, we typically see some of those, but then we see some really close hockey. And the games in Frisco, I think, were outstanding in the, the group of death and it's Group B, and then there were some really, really dramatic uh, medal round games. But let's start by talking about Canada versus Russia in that gold medal game. I think that was one where Matvey Michkov and Connor Bedard, that battle was really hyped up, and we'll talk about them a little bit later. But that's one where there was a lot of hype around it, even for people who just weren't following this tournament any any moment, because it's like, this is the future of hockey. And then not only were those guys good, but overall, the game itself was pretty intense. The first period was really good. The second period was just as good. The third period kind of, I'd say, trailed off a little bit. Uh, I think Russia kind of was almost too conservative at parts in the period. And then Canada was just like, well, we got the lead. Let's just keep defending it here. And it ended up being that. But overall, what were your thoughts on that final game? Yeah, I would agree with you. I thought it was a, an awesome game, uh, particularly the first half. You know, heading into the match, I was worried about Russia's defense and how they would handle Canada. But I think as a team, they held up pretty well because, you know, they tried to keep Canada out of the middle of the ice and they were somewhat successful early on, um, but they could only do so much. And I thought, you know, even off in net was, was pretty good for them at the beginning. Um, eventually it all kind of fell by the wayside uh, simply because Canada kept pouring on the pressure. Canada really came at waves. And, you know, I look at guys like, Mason McTavish and Chase Stillman and Brennan Othman, um, they were just punishing uh, as forwards. And then, of course, you had Nolan Allen uh, with the, the famous hit on Chabrikov early on uh, for the defense. So I, I think Canada really wore the Russians down. And, and then with Ivanov, he's 5'11". So on you know the third and fourth goals... Canada just picked corners on him. And, you know, we, we see it happen. Um, it's, it's why size is kind of the, you know, with goaltending, size is still a prerequisite at the highest levels. And I think we saw it uh, last night uh, with Ivanov because when you get against those big-time snipers, they're going to make you pay if you can't cover the top of the net. Yeah, and th- that was very true. You pointed that out. And I, I, I've fallen in love with a lot of smaller goalies but it's like no i know it's it's true the the big you gotta be a bigger goalie and that's how that works that's why i was the best goalie in my league one year i was the only one who was almost five foot five at eight years old so i was pretty good and then it didn't really grow much after that but um yeah, no, that's one where you look at Gujo. He takes up a lot more than that, and he played a really solid game. Gujo ended up winning the top goalie of the tournament. Ivanov got the um, the media all-star award. I think he could have gone either way. Uh, Gujo's stats in the end were the best. Playing on a team where, you know, they didn't necessarily need the big goaltending when they go out there and, and smash a lot of the teams like they did. But that Russia game was a much different story. That was the biggest competition Canada had to play outside of Latvia of all teams and again not something I think we'd expected when Canada beat Sweden 12-1 in the opening game but the 
when you look at that, it's like that Canadian team just didn't have a lot of weaknesses. We talked about that beforehand, even without the QMJHL players, even with the projected number one goalie not having played any games heading into the tournament, that group just looked on it at all times and their biggest competition come in the finals. And at first Russia came out really good. It was, I think it was, they had the first seven shots on net in the game. Uh, the big moment at the beginning was Nolan Allen sending Chabrikov to the bench, which is a pretty big hit. And, and that Canadian team just was just hitting, 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 specifically against Chabrikov. If you watch his videos, he was hit a lot last night. Yes. That was the one where Canada just started out muscle them, and then Russia just couldn't keep up with the pace as the game kind of went on. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you mentioned it right off the hop with the third period where the Russians um, – looked a little more conservative to me it looked like they were kind of gassed uh and and maybe a little uh befuddled by what canada was throwing at them where you know they needed to make a comeback but other than you know drawing penalties and 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 maybe capitalizing on the power play it felt like russia couldn't find enough ins you know obviously uh mishkov was this whole game and you know i i like guys like Svechkov and Chabrikov, I think they did very well, but it, it gets to the point where, you know, Canada, just as a program, not just this team, but the program as a whole, they always want to be hard to play against. They always want to play fast. And it's really hard to keep up with a team for that long. And, you know, we've seen teams do it. Team USA did it at the World Juniors in the gold medal game where, you know, they matched Canada's intensity, maybe even surpassed it. Um, but it's, it's a tough road to go down uh, when you're playing a Canadian team that had so much talent and, and had so much physicality to it. And that's the thing about this team was Canada rolled over their opponents quite a few times in this tournament. But even in the the 8-1 game against Sweden or the game against Belarus or the the win against Switzerland, in those games, they never let off. And that was something where at these international tournaments, when it's very one-sided, you'll see the team kind of start to get a little lazy. They'll make some mistakes. Even that that like massive win for Canada over Germany at the World Juniors, just saw Canada kind of just slacking off near the end. But it seemed like Dave Barr did a job of making sure that wasn't happening in this case that every game it's like they were playing as if it was still the final minutes of a championship game. And I think that may have helped them there because they looked fully engaged kind of in every game of the tournament. They never, they, they only trailed once in the tournament and was briefly against Russia. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, from, uh, I, I can imagine for a lot of fans, they say like, Oh, you know, they're pouring it on. Um, but if you are a pro athlete and you know i mean these kids are essentially pros already they're certainly elite athletes you have to keep your habits um like right at the top there and you can't you can't take shifts off so it, you know it looks unfortunate when you're scoring you know the seventh or eighth goal against sweden uh you know in the final five ten minutes of a game where you know i mean sweden just had checked out but you know that your next opponent is going to be tougher. And, you know, it's interesting. I was, I was talking to Dave Barr during the tournament and, and this was after the Latvia game. And he was saying that Latvia, you know, had given them the biggest challenge at that point because they were a big team that forced Canada to play in its own end as much as possible. And again, you know, Canada obviously won that game, but it was a good sort of test for them 
And I think that's what you saw in the, the latter games, even when they were up is like, yeah, you, as you said, Stephen, you, you can't let up on the gas because you want that gold medal and you have to play the full 60 minutes. I mean, going back to the round Robin, look how many times Finland and team USA made big comebacks and, and Russia, uh, you know, against the USA making huge comebacks because uh, these are teenagers, right? I mean, they're not fully developed players yet, as talented as they are. You can have those huge swings of momentum. So you you have to play right to the end because you want to ensure that you're going to win. One of the things I love about these junior hockey tournaments is that you do see a lot of mistakes, and that opens up for some really crazy moments like that game against between Russia and uh, in the USA in the first game. Now, I made a joke on another show that I, I probably could have coached Team Canada because the strategy, all it had to be was throw Bedard or Wright on every other shift, and you've probably figured out how to play against these teams. But again, good job by Dave Barr to, to do everything it took for Canada to get to that point. And, and in the end, Canada wins gold for the first time since 2013. Connor McDavid was on that team again that year. That strategy was put McDavid on the ice every other shift, and you're in good shape. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about the battle everyone was really looking forward to in that game, specifically Matt Bimichkov and Connor Bedard, the two top prospects for the 2023 NHL draft. It feels like we've been talking about these guys forever, and I think we've talked about these guys multiple times on this specific podcast podcast multiple times but for a reason these guys are very special players and when when you when you look at a guy like like Mishkov and he's got like the 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 deking abilities of Pavel Datsuk but the overall offensive capabilities of Nikita Kucherov and you look at Bedard and the one name that's been thrown a lot around a lot has been Connor McDavid and uh, to a point Ovechkin guys like that. Like there's so many star players attributed to these guys. And I know every year people will say, well, Oh, like the media was hyping up this guy to be the next blah, blah, blah. Alexis Lafreniere. I think we picked him to be Huberto, like the next Huberto in the, the future or uh, draft preview. It's not like we expect him. Oh yeah. He's going to be Crosby like guaranteed. But with these guys, they at the points in their careers, they do deserve kind of the, the hype they're getting. And it doesn't seem to get to them. It's like they play better when the games mean a lot. And I, I think a question was, how were they going to react to a game of that magnitude? And then they were trading goals at the beginning of the game. And Mitchkov had three points. And Bedard had two points. And uh, I believe uh, Wright had three points himself. It's like these guys, the best players, came to play. And it wasn't just one game. Mitchkov and Bedard were great all tournament long. Yeah, and and right as well. Um, I, I, you know what? I like the hype is warranted in my mind. If you look at how Mitchkoff led that team on offense, and for the most part, he did it with his shot. But I mean, he had a gorgeous assist in the gold medal game, where you just saw how advanced his brain is, and you know that vision and hockey sense that he brings to the ice, where he just sees the correct move to make at all times. And he was so dangerous. And, you know, this is a kid that at a very young age led the Russian junior league in goals. It's incredible. And it's funny. You you say like, you got to put it into context. Um, But I almost want to say to people like, yeah, this is the context. Like these are advanced players. And, you know, I've said this in the past where, you know, when Connor McDavid was coming up, I'm sure there were people who were like, oh, people are already comparing him to Crosby. But, you know, how can you compare him to Sidney Crosby? It's like, well, we had to, com- you know, like who was Sidney Crosby before he was Sidney Crosby? Um, and when you look at Bedard, 
and just the drive and the skill. When he got stopped on that penalty shot and they showed him on the bench, you could just tell he was going to score. You could tell it was going to be like one or two shifts and he was going to do something special. And sure enough, cutting through the Russian defense, roofing that backhander, I, I, it was an, that was a couch jumping goal. Yeah, you know, if you were watching from home, it was incredible. And I think I think again, the call for so advanced. I, I, the, I remember the call on. Uh, I was watching on hockey TV, and it was a Chris Peters. Just he he had nothing to say. It was just like simply holy smokes. It's like yeah. how do you describe a play like that? But it's like that was what we expected. That was Bedard yeah. right there. That's that's Bedard. That's the Connor Bedard that was you know one of the leading scorers. I think he was the leading scorer in the WHL uh, mm-hmm. at the time that he left for Canada's camp. Uh, and doing it as the youngest player in the league, or maybe one of, you know, I can't remember who everybody's birthday is. Um, but that's who he is. And that's who he's going to be next year as well. And I mean, we, ha- I, I think we have to start preparing ourselves for how good Mitchkov, Bedard and Shane Wright are going to be in the coming years. And yes, you know, uh, by the nature of our business, we, we hype up kids every year, but as you pointed out with Lafreniere um, you know, I, I think we're pretty reasonable to say, you know, he might not be a generational player, but he's going to be very good. I think Owen Power this year is going to be a, a very good player, but not necessarily generational. Simon, you know, same as Simon Edmondson. He could be a top pairing guy, but, you know, he might not be a Norris guy. And that's fine. You're not going to get those players every year. But next year and the year after that we are certainly getting a few of them and i can't wait it's it's already fun we're also in in an era where we saw three lacrosse goals successfully pulled off in this tournament which i don't know if we've ever seen that many in one specific tournament it started off Dmitry kuzman the defenseman from belarus pulling it off after going from the blue line to behind the net i'd say that was one of the most impressive ones i've seen just because a it was a defenseman but he's done it before like that's not his first time he's ever done that but he had to skate in from the blue line to make it happen. That was pretty cool. And then Mishkov pulled off twice. Bedard hit the crossbar. That was also another thing. I don't know if I've ever seen a failed attempt. It usually goes in almost every time because the player is so confident. It was just like the one time it missed, it just slipped off the last second. But we're getting at a point where you see moves like that and you see Brendan Ottman twice doing the between the legs in this tournament and these other things. It's like we're getting to a point where the guys who grew up watching YouTube trick videos of guys like Pavel Datsuk or even just the guys who do it as their career, like Pavel Barber, they watch these videos and they're not pulling these off in games like it's nothing. It's not like a you see it once in the pregame warm-up or in an all-star event. Like these guys are just we're getting into a, such a talented level where everyone is like, like with each generation, the players eventually get better training methods, get better. But in terms of pure puck handling and skill at high speeds, we're seeing this at a level. I don't know if we've ever seen before. No, it's true. And I agree with you. I think we're going to see a lot more of it. And, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that with Bedard and Offman and Shane Wright, you know, they've all worked with, uh, Joe Quinn at Power Edge Pro, you know, you and I have seen them uh, training in the summer. And I remember the first time I saw Bedard, he was playing in a scrimmage with like Quentin Byfield and, uh, you know, guys that were several years older and, and Bedard still looked awesome. I think he actually played with Byfield on a line and it was hilarious um, because they were, they were, everybody was so good on that, uh, on that scrimmage. Um, but it is interesting because I think, you know, you hit on it with, uh, how these kids are growing up and the, the skills that they're seeing in the YouTube videos. 
But there's also a, a cultural shift in hockey. I was talking to Joe Pavelski a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I had mentioned uh, lacrosse goals. I can't remember why. And he was, you know, he was saying, yeah, you know what? Like when I was young, if you tried that, you were going to have to drop the gloves <laughs> because <laughs> players would not be happy with that. But if you look at the current generation, you know, they understand that the game is fun. The game is highly skilled. Um, you know, the sensibilities are just different. If somebody scores a lacrosse goal on you, you got to tip your cap and, and maybe you go and try to do it yourself. Or you try to go between the legs. I think the first person I ever saw the between the legs move on was Steven Stamkos. Um, so it kind of tells you it's, it's, it's not that uh, old a move that has been practiced or, or, or attempted at a high level. And you look at like, it was, uh, who, who was the guy? Um, uh, Merrick Malik was the one who pulled it off in that shootout. And, and when you see that in a shootout move, that's one thing. You got all this open ice, you got the time. But when you're doing it in an actual game at a high speed, that is a huge challenge to do. And we've seen yeah. uh, Matt Kachuk pulled off and in a spectacular fashion with the Calgary Flames. And now we're, we've seen uh, Svechnikov do the cross school a couple of times. It's like, yeah, this younger generation is really doing that. And I know I couldn't pull any of these moves off. I did score once in house league in between the legs, but the goalie was down on the ground and I, we were winning nine, nothing. So it was like in the second period, <laughs> it's like, didn't matter. But yeah, when like that's i think a really exciting thing it's something to keep in mind with these guys is um we're this is not like a show-off thing anymore this is just these are legitimate tactics to score goals well and that's what i was gonna say is you know it, it's a tactical thing that you have to do because goalies are so much better now especially when you see a guy at the side of the net do the between the legs it's a way of protecting the puck and still getting a great scoring opportunity um so it's you know, it, it's not as showy as you might think. I mean, there's a practical reason for doing it. And it's, you know, based on, um, you know, the position you're put in and, you know, just the proximity to the net, what can you do to beat a goaltender who is so much more technically advanced than his predecessors from 30, 40 years ago? And especially when for goalies, it's like it's tough because when they're, when a player's behind the net, you're told to keep your skates at the post. You're ready to react to either side. But when someone's standing behind the net and then picks a puck up and then shoots it in the top corner, you, you can't really react to that easily. And if you try, you're getting a stick to the face or the stick to the neck. It's like it's a tough thing to stop. So there will be the questions. I think eventually we'll see like is this a move that needs to keep happening in the in the pro level? But Yes, I say yes. It's a very fun move. It's great. It takes a lot of skill to pull off. It takes a lot of Gumption. fortitude, words I don't want to say to basically pull that off because it is it, it, it's something that's really hard. And we saw it multiple times in this tournament like it was nothing. And that's that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, believe the hype for these guys. <clears throat> they're they're hyped like this for a reason. They've been hyped like this for years for a reason. And that was just battle number one between these teams. Uh now we're going to see them at the World Juniors probably next year. We're going to see them maybe not at the World Championships in the future, but maybe we'll see them at the Olympics. And that's going to be a lot of fun because as Crosby and Ovechkin, that battle starts to die down, we've got the next generation of two guys that are just absolutely talented players. To move on, talking to, about other teams, because there were more than just two teams in this tournament, let's talk about Sweden, the most unpredictable team in this tournament. I think everyone expected a, a good opening game between Canada and Sweden, and the Canada won 12-1. And then Sweden also didn't look really good against Belarus in their very first game of the tournament. 
and where it was 5-1, I believe, but it was like 2-1 up until the final minutes where Belarus just started taking penalties and they couldn't do anything. This Swedish team just did not look motivated for the most part. They, they played in the weaker group, but they didn't dominate like Canada did. They get to the to play the United States, and they go out and beat them. And then they lose to Canada, again, in spectacular fashion, 8-1 in a game where it was like 2-1 early in the second period. And... Then they go out and win eight nothing against Finland. What a weird tournament for these guys. It was. And, you know, I was talking to a, a scout yesterday from an NHL team that was just saying that they just didn't seem to compete. And it was, it was a pretty disappointing tournament for that team overall. I, I will say, um, you know, the, the one exception for me and, and the, the scout point of this as well is, is Simon Edvinson did look engaged and, you know, he did get, you know, mad several times in the tournament. And, and that's a good thing. You want that compete level. Um, so, you know, shout out to Simon Edmondson for caring. Um, but overall, uh, you know, scouts just saw a team that just really didn't want to, uh, you know, compete hard when things got difficult. And I, I think that was a problem. I, I will also say that, you know, with Liam Dover Nielsen, uh, the captain, he took a lot of minor penalties. Uh, so he was obviously engaged, but I think, you know, he had trouble staying out of the box and, and that was a problem for him. Um, but overall, I think that, you know, again, you know, as I said earlier, you know, Latvia, big, tough team to play against. And then, you know, Belarus, um, you know, give them a lot of credit in this tournament where, you know, they have sort of an NTDP style program now back home where all those guys or almost all those guys have played together all year and, and played together last year as well. So they know each other. They played as a team. And I think this is a great tournament for Belarus. They actually, you know, officially finished sixth in the standings. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I can see why they gave Sweden problems because Belarus will play like a team. And, and obviously, you know, the two games against Canada – uh, a combined score of 20 to two. I mean, that's just unacceptable. And, you know, as for the bronze medal game, I mean, good for them for, for showing up and, and, and grabbing that bronze, but they were playing a Finnish team that, you know, had just had their hearts broken in the semifinal. They played Russia really hard in the late game. Then they had to go to the early game for the bronze. I think Finland just, you know, they didn't have anything left in the tank and uh, you know, and Sweden, took advantage of that. So, you know, good for them for finishing off the tournament strong, but overall, I, I don't think this was a very uh, positive tournament for Sweden. And I, I would say the same for the Czechs as well. I know scouts were disappointed overall with, with how the Czechs did. It's kind of funny because even though Sweden got absolutely demolished by Canada twice, that Carl, Lindbaum actually finished with the second best uh, save percentage in the entire tournament, which, and, and like he lost so by like, shots. <laughs> he lost by 0.01 to Kudrow. It's just like, how in the world? But that final game really did help because Finland did get a lot of shots in that game. They just didn't get a lot of quality shots and didn't really mm. push them. But this was a team where they, they really relied on Isaac Rosen. He scored seven goals and they really relied on Fabian Lysel. He had nine points and guys like that. And, but there wasn't a ton of depth on this team. They couldn't rely on these guys on a lot of situations outside of, let's say, the power play. And that was the thing. Sweden, we knew that this was not their best team, but I don't think we expected them to be kind of just the pushover they were to Canada. Those games were unacceptable, like you said. The goaltending was just simply a mess. Um, and overall, it was kind of tough. Now, 
it, it was kind of funny. They when they were announcing the uh, the players of the game, they uh, or the players of the tournament for Sweden, they said uh, I think it was Hugo Lindbom, which was a mix of two of their goalies. But Hugo have heavily had actually only played like one game, I think, and he got a shutout in it. But yeah, that Sweden team not a lot to, not a lot to love, and for a lot of those guys will go on to play in the World Junior Team, and and obviously there's there's a lot of sensitive topics when it comes to the world junior team because they they can't seem to pull off these victories and when you look at this group some of them are going to be pretty good but i don't know like is is this team actually going to be what are your thoughts on sweden's junior hockey over the next couple years given that there just wasn't a whole lot of talent to get excited about on this team yeah i'm gonna keep my mind open because i think sweden only had one of their top four 2021 draft prospects at this tournament and the one being Simon Edmondson. Um, Jesper Wallstead is a late O2 birthday. Uh, so he was not there. I mean, if you had Jesper Wallstead in net might've been a completely different tournament. Yes. William Eklund was not there. He was actually, and still is with the men's national team uh, playing friendly games internationally and faring quite well already. Um, Oscar Allison also not there. Uh, he was on the world junior team. So I'm not ready to write them off just yet, but I would say that, you know, there's a lot to be, there's a lot of work to be done. And I would have to assume that we're not going to see a young Swedish world junior team next year. I think they're going to try to go as, as veteran as possible. Um, you know, based on some of the kids that are left over from, the uh you know the o2 birth year yeah that's uh i'm i'm there there's still a lot of good talent obviously a lot of their best players were not there i thought simon edvinson actually played quite well given the 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 fact that he, he was a standout player even in like the eight one game it's like he, he's just that consistent and i i don't love him as a prospect i don't I, I, there's a lot of decision-making things out there that I don't love. And, and there's sometimes where he's kind of liable in his own zone, but it's like, these are stuff that you can really get when you, when you get him with good coaches, I think he'll be fine. And he's, he's still a solid prospect. Let's move on to another team that struggled, the United States. And when we recorded our pre-tournament recap, we talked about Lucia, Chaz Lucius being a big part of this team and he didn't play because he was injured. He got injured like the day before the tournament. So that kind of really hurt him them. But that team was missing pieces like him, Luke Hughes and some other guys. But this is still a group that played together all year long. You still thought that maybe they would be able to kind of make up for it. And there are a lot of the young guys played really well, but in the end, they just, I don't think they ever played better than a team in this tournament for two periods in a row. And I think that was the killer. They'd have a good period and then they would struggle and it just kind of went down the hill from there. So what are your thoughts there on the Americans? I think that everything went wrong for them that possibly could have gone wrong. Um, you know, Lucius, Andre Gasso, and Jake Martin, uh, all were ruled ineligible right before the tournament. So I, I, I think maybe there was some sort of COVID protocol there rather than an injury because it was pretty weird for three kids all at one time to go out. And as you mentioned, Luke Hughes was also in the lineup. Um, and, you know, overall, this was not the strongest NTDP team in terms of high-end talent. I thought maybe they could get through because they have a lot of really good gritty forwards, Liam Gilmartin, 
Red Savage, Justin Janicki. I thought maybe those guys could kind of push them further and sort of, you know, go on grit and heart alone. Uh, obviously, it wasn't enough. Uh, I thought Sean Barron's was great, as always. I mean, he's been one of their de- best defensemen all year. Um, I would say, you know, overall, he's been the best because Luke Hughes missed a bunch of time. Uh, but I thought Barron's was good. I thought Ty Gallagher helped himself. Um, you know, in the draft, I don't know if he's top 100. I don't think scouts see him as top 100, but you know, maybe top 120. Uh, I think would be fair for him. I think goaltending let them down. Uh, you know, Gibson Homer, he's been pretty good all year, just didn't have a good tournament. And then Caden Mabarico, uh, he certainly had his moments where he was great, but unfortunately. You know, he had, it, it was clear he had a, a nagging injury that flared up several times and, you know, he had to be pulled. So it was just it was just a rough tournament. When you have so many of your U-17 players on your U-18 team, you're even though these, those kids are very talented, um, it, it just puts you behind the eight ball and they, they just couldn't they just couldn't get there. I thought Mabarico played actually quite well, but he got injured twice in the tournament, so that didn't really help. But um, he, he did a lot of big-time saves for that team. But, yeah, Gibson Homer just did not look good. Uh, I thought Lane Hudson was awesome. Like, there was a, there's a lot of things to be look, like, to look forward to for this team. This group next year, that a lot of these guys got really valuable experience, and I think that's something that's yeah. really exciting for the Americans where they should be able to bounce back and at least contend for a medal, whether it's gold, bronze, silver, it doesn't matter. But that just – overall disappointing for the team and it's you know what it, it it always hurts i think a little especially for those guys because they do play together all year long it's not like they're formed together for two weeks and like some of these guys may never meet each other again like these guys live together reef together do everything together and they have the added pressure of doing this all during a pandemic year and so you always kind of feel a little bad for them because th- there's just so much again it, they spend two years together and it's, it's pretty much over at this point. But a lot of you 17s will get a chance to play again together. So, uh, again, in the end, there, there's some solid prospects there. But I don't know if there's a lot too, too excited about. It was a disappointment that we didn't get to see Hughes and, and Lucius. But uh, I think that this group, you know, they, despite the fact that they were never the best team in any game, I'd say they at least did a good job of fighting back late in games. We could say that. Totally. Oh, yeah, for sure. And again, I think that, you know, that's a credit to guys like Barons and Gil Martin and Savage um, that, you know, have that sort of never say die attitude. And you're right. It is difficult because, you know, when you go to the NTDP, the whole goal is to win that U18 gold at the Worlds at the end of your tenure. You start off as a U17, you're building your strength, you're always playing competition older than yourself. You get into that second year where you're playing a bunch of great college teams as well as USHL teams. And then the focal point is always that end of year world under 18s. And I mean, they had meddled for, I think it was 17 straight years. So the expectations were obviously super high and yeah, just a a tough situation for the players involved, but at least for guys like Rucker McGroarty and Hudson and Logan Cooley, they can get their revenge next year. 
All right, Ryan, to finish this off, let's talk about some of the players that you like the most. It could be on any of the teams. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of attention on the 2022-2023 prospects. But in reality, the scouts are there because of the 2021 draft. And there's a lot of players to keep an eye on. So which players overall did you like the most? Yeah, starting with Finland, I thought Samu Tuomala and Samu Salmanen were amazing. I think for Tuomala, he definitely cemented himself as a first-round draft pick. I mean, such a great shooter, and uh, you know he was just always there for them when they needed him. Salmanen was the best face-off man in the entire tournament, 70% in the face-off dot. Just incredible. He's got a lot of size. Um, from what I hear, he's a really hard worker, you know, whether it's in the gym or at practice, heading to the University of Denver. Uh, he was kind of a wild card because Jokeritz junior team hadn't played since November. So scouts were really looking to him. I think he did himself a huge favor in this tournament. Um, and then Alexi Hamosalmi, who was named best defenseman of the tournament, um, maybe developing faster than some scouts anticipated. You know, this is a kid that has a lot of raw upside and, you know, at the beginning of the year, um, you know, from what I understand, he was kind of letting his, def- his older defense partner uh, do a lot more on their pairing. But as the second half came in, he was really asserting himself. And I think we saw his evolution here where uh, he was really great for the Finns, mobile guy, um, you know, got some points. So uh, obviously great tournament for him. Uh, I think Chase Stillman was great for Canada, um, just banging and crashing all over the place, you know, hard to play against, got some uh, offense as well. Uh, Olin Zellweger, I think I, I think he put himself into a sort of a top 100 place in the draft. I think he had eight points in seven games for Canada, you know, great mobile blue liner. Um, and then um, I would also say Prokhor Poltapov from Russia, again, not so much a surprise, but I felt like he cemented himself as kind of a top 50 guy. Uh, So smart, really sturdy guy, like stronger than he looks. And, uh, and obviously he can put up points. So great tournament for him. And then, you know, uh, the last player I'll mention, um, Askew Koskinbo, the goaltender for Finland, up and down tournament, but I think with his frame, he's like 6'3", 6'4". Scouts were already interested. And I feel like he's one of those bend-don't-break goaltenders, um, especially in the, in the round robin, where I, I think he definitely um, he, he's definitely a draft at this point. Uh, where he goes, I'm not sure. But I, I think he did himself a lot of favors in this tournament. So, you know, good on him. And... Uh, yeah. And then, you know, um, we already talked about Simon Edmondson. I thought he had a very good tournament, uh, just breaking pucks out, uh, being competitive. He threw a huge hit on Sean Behrens uh, in the Sweden-USA game in the middle round. Um, so pretty good for him. And then Sasha, Sasha Passageoff, who we didn't mention, I think he cemented himself as a first rounder with Team USA, uh, led them in scoring. And, you know, basically, you know, he was that guy that could sort of drive offense for them. So, uh, those are a couple of the names that that come to mind for me. Yeah, one name that I really, really liked was Francesco Pinelli. I actually predicted him to be Canada's top yeah. scorer. And in the end, Canada had a lot of other guys that ended up taking over and it didn't really matter how many points he put up. But he answered back in a big way after getting benched against Latvia, the only game in the tournament I believe he didn't get appointed, and went out there and got a hat trick in his next game. So that was a pretty good answer. Um, like, a, a, Olin Zollweger, one of my favorite players in this tournament, someone I did not really 
pay a lot of attention to beforehand, but he was in the, in the mix of it every single game for Canada. He never needed to be the best player on the ice, but he would always set something up and make it work. Um, obviously, like guys like Brant Clark, Benjamin Gujo played a really good tournament. Um, Dimitri Kuzman, I think I was the uh, the only guy that picked him uh, to be on the uh, the top defenseman thing. But look, look at there were some advanced stats that said like you you watched him. There was I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was Mitch Brown from EEP Rinkside who was tracking the things manually. It's like the, the stats show whenever the puck got to the blue line, he wouldn't let it get past you, and that was kind of they're past him. So that was kind of cool. I thought he had a really good tournament, but. It was Belarus. They were out of the tournament early, so there's that. Um, I thought uh, Vili Koivinen, the Finland guy, was great. Um, yeah. Carl, yep, Carl Lindbaum in Sweden uh, was good when he needed to be, which, or I shouldn't say needed to be. He needed to be better against Canada, but uh, he, he was good enough where, like, again, the stats really showed he had a good tournament. And uh, Danila Klimovic, uh, the guy that everyone really loved on Belarus, the beginning of the tournament, couldn't stop him whenever he had the puck uh, on the power play. Problem is, on the power play. didn't score a single point at five and five but at the same time belarus just was kind of a power play focused team up there so there's that so but anyways that's we're going to wrap it up here for this tournament thank you so much to everyone for uh paying attention uh, to the coverage online and for our podcast i uh, also want to give a couple of special shout outs to uh hockey tv for broadcasting every game online i don't know if that's ever happened before this tournament i can't remember that in english so that was really nice and uh, again, make sure to check out the hockeynews.com for all of our coverage of prospects and everything. We've got draft preview coming out soon and future watches available now. So see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Prospect Podcast. Make sure to check out THN.com slash subscribe to have issues of the Hockey News Magazine sent directly to your mailbox. And send your questions for future podcast episodes to at THN Ryan Kennedy on Twitter. 